And welcome back to Butter With That, a movie podcast where some friends from Philly get together to talk about movies. We're doing something pretty fun this uh, this go around with this theme. It is sort of a roommate revenge scenario. That being the case where Heather and Kara, Sam's two roommates, have both suggested some movies for us based on things that we have brought to the table in the past. So we'll be getting into that shortly. Uh, before we get into any of that, I uh, just want to go around the horn here and see how everybody's doing uh, how we're feeling about this uh, nice, uh, cool fall weather and uh, whether or not we've seen anything worthy of note. Well, I think the most enjoyable part of this cool fall weather is that the Phillies are in the World Series. Uh, as as of this recording, tonight's game one of the World Series. I've got my Phillies jersey on and um, I'll be able to catch half the game. I love you guys so much that we're recording on the night of the World Series. So. <laughs> but no, it's been going pretty good. Um, House of the Dragon concluded, I think, pretty spectacularly. Maybe the best season of anything in the Game of Thrones live action universe. Um, but super fan, a big fan of it. Can't wait till 2024 uh, when season two will be released. So we've got quite a wait, but I think that's okay. Let the goodness kind of be spread out over time and not you know, do a whole bunch of things at once. And then the quality goes down. So I'm cool if they take their time. Also watched maybe my favorite movie of the year. Definitely up there with one of my favorite movies of the year, uh, Barbarian. A horror mm. movie from over the summer. The less you know, the better. Uh, it definitely is a movie with twists and turns, but I don't want to spoil anything. But if you are a fan of horror or suspense, I think it's it, it reaps rewards. I really loved it. So it's kind of all, all I want to say about it. Maybe one day we'll cover it on the pod. Yeah, I checked that out recently also. And um, yeah. With, yeah, again, without uh, it's it, because it is best to go in blind without spoiling anything. Yeah, it's a movie that really seems to have uh, quite a vision, and I think just feeling fresh too. Like so much of modern horror has had like the Blumhouse feel, and I've liked plenty of Blumhouse movies, but um, this just felt totally different than what a lot of horror creators are putting out right now in uh, like the feature film space. I guess I watched a horror of sorts. Um, it was uh, the first Claire Denis movie I'd ever seen. It's called Trouble Every Day. And it's a kind of a vampire cannibal story about, uh, yeah, just an American couple who go to Paris and then just shit gets crazy. And it's, it's just about like lust and sex and then from what i understand what most of claire denise movies are about so uh yeah it was enjoyable um and uh yeah i'd recommend it sounds interesting i went home kind of spontaneously i don't even know how many weekends ago at this point i don't even know what day it is uh last weekend no. Anyway, uh, I went home spontaneously. And anytime I do that, my mom's always like, let's watch a series. Let's watch something on Netflix. So we ended up watching The Watcher, which as we were going through some of the episodes, I was like, wait a minute. This story sounds familiar. And it's definitely based on the family annihilator, Jonathan List. 
and uh, wild to see it just on the screen. And it's an interesting interpretation of that story. It's not completely the same, though there are certainly some uh, details that they're like, we're just going to, we're just going to not change a single thing. I don't know if I recommend it, but it's, it's an interesting watch if you are familiar with the list story. Hmm. Also mysterious and intriguing. Okay. Well, as listeners know, we've been embracing a new theme and bringing in, uh, bringing in some new voices into our show. We're very excited to be exploring roommate revenge. Uh, that a theme that we've uh, we've concocted to get some insight from folks who have uh, watched movies along with Sam. Uh, that being Sam's two roommates, Heather and Kara. Welcome back. So great to have you. And uh, as we did last week, we're going to get some insight into what you think of our respective movie tastes. Uh, what you feel uh, of those that you've seen are uh, best selection and worst selection are. Which I'm over here biting my nails about, but I'm uh, intrigued. So, uh, yeah, have at it. Uh, some roommate revenge. What do you guys think? Kara, would you like to go first? I would love to. Thank you, Heather. All right. Um, Dave. Sweet <laughs> Dave. Dave. Okay. Um, <laughs> Dave, I would describe your choices out of left field, like things that I never imagined anyone would talk about on a podcast. But, but there always is a journey involved. So I appreciate that about all of your choices. Um, it's, it's definitely been a journey to watch some of your choices. So thank you for that <laughs> gift. <laughs> um, I'm going to tell you, uh, Sam and I watched this together. My favorite of your choices was my demon lover. Um, <laughs> yeah, great movie, real fun. Just enjoyable from start to finish crazy but enjoyable yeah we were losing our mind (laughs) (laughs) we were obsessed with saying that for a little bit yep i actually forgot about that but now now it's just cemented in my brain um however the worst pick and i i have a lot of a lot of thoughts on this one Mm. what drove you to choose the master ah the master um well, big P.T. Anderson fan. Uh, I enjoy how like meditative and uh, ambiguous that movie is. I think it's beautifully shot, and uh, I think it's decidedly polarizing. So I, uh, in a sense, <laughs> am not uh, not surprised. Uh, but uh, always good to, to get some perspective on some of the selections that we've had. I love it. Okay. Well, thank you. I appreciate that insight. <laughs> <laughs> sure. And yours as well, uh, Heather? Uh, yeah. Okay, Dave. Um, so it's always, this podcast is always very interesting for me because living with Sam for as long as she's worked at Eastern State, I only ever really hear about people. So to like hear about them and then connect them to other things is very interesting. And I feel like I had one idea of you, Dave, and then your movies have just (laughs) obliterated that. (laughs) Um, I would describe you as uh like a a cinephile um like very kind of art housey kind of vibes like you take your movies very seriously and that's totally fine um but then you throw in things like uh the a lot of the animated ones you picked and I was like hold on Dave picked a goofy movie yeah actually (laughs) kudos on that one (laughs) yeah listen that's what I picked as my favorite of yours so I'm here for it but I'm like, wait, that doesn't, it was very hard for me to rationalize 
to reconcile who I thought you were just from like ESP stories with Dave watching a goofy movie. I love it. I love it. It's wonderful. Uh, least favorite food fight. That was horrible. <laughs> I didn't care that I had to sit through that. Yeah. I was mad about it. Pretty sure I was yeah. mad about I it. I think we all kind of were like, fuck you, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> a real litmus test. Yeah, even after the new Pinocchio that I've just recently seen, I have to say that's uh, still the worst movie I've ever yeah. seen. <laughs> it's so funny to me, Dave, how you just like torture yourself and then like decide to torture <laughs> us too. Like, but I respect what a, that. What a way yeah. to show love. Like, yeah. it's so interesting. If I suffer, you suffer. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Well, that might make uh, the selected film uh, of mine uh, kind of an interesting choice. Uh, I understand that you've picked something uh, rather special for me to uh, to dive into and host us through. Yes, uh, it's a cult classic, Velocipastor. And, you know, my demon lover really solidified this choice for me. <laughs> it is one of those movies that is just so awful. That's <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> And I think in the first three minutes of that movie, you're going to know why you were forced to watch this. <laughs> <laughs> but I hope it brings you joy because it has brought many people joy throughout the pandemic, especially when it, I think, first uh, released. So, you know, just just buckle in and have fun with it. <laughs> well, I will admit to having had it on my list for a while as a curio. So uh, it'll be fun Excellent. to finally... Nice. Uh, sink my claws into it, as it were. Uh, so thanks so much for the recommendation and uh, and for checking in. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So that again, uh, Heather and Kara giving us some insight into what we'll be discussing this week. Uh, for those who have not heard of the movie, it is The Velocipaster. Uh, it's a movie that came out in 2018. It's directed by uh, Brendan Steer, stars Greg Cohan, George Schoenzer and Janice Young, among others. So uh, The Velocipaster is a pretty, I suppose, uh, unique story, you could say. A uh, synopsis that I have here is that uh, after losing his parents, a priest travels to China, where he inherits a mysterious ability that allows him to turn into a dinosaur. At first, horrified by this new power, a hook, uh, this is the verbiage of IMDb here, a hooker convinces him to fight crime and ninjas. Uh, so that is more or less a shorthand summary of this movie. I think, uh, as was mentioned uh, before at the onset, when this movie was selected, it was selected largely in connection to My Demon Lover, which is a bit of a kind of like a rom-com, schlocky horror, sort of like good-bad movie, I guess you could say. Or just kind of like, I don't know, I, I guess it's a, a flawed movie that I think is good. At any rate, uh, this sort of falling under that category, I suppose, this sort of known as one of those kind of like intentionally can't be B movies, uh, kind of like a horror comedy, uh, and very, very quick to remind you that it's a low budget movie. Uh, it's my first time seeing it, even though it's been on my radar for a while, just out of curiosity. So uh, I was happy to have had an excuse to sit through it. Uh, and I believe going around the horn, is this everyone's first time seeing it also? This was my first time seeing it too. It was my first time as well. Uh, no, definitely not. Being roommates with Kara, she forced this on me too. I don't think I appreciated it as much as I did this time around. This time around, I was laughing the entire time. And I suppose, Sam, why don't you speak to that a little bit? I mean, you have some background with this movie, uh, so you've seen it more than once, and it seems to be uh, improving with each watch, which is interesting. What was your initial reaction to it? 
I was like, because here's the thing about Kara. She gets like obsessed with certain bits of media, much like myself, and then forces it on everyone she'll watch it over and over again and be like but please can we just watch it and finally I was like okay but nicer you know like I was like yes Kara of course you can watch this she puts it on and I was like what the fuck um I did laugh like in the moment but I think at that time I thought they were trying to take themselves seriously I don't know exactly why I had gotten that impression because watching it again I was like no clearly this is satire so I think that's what made me enjoy it much more nice and Christine and Connor this is also your first rodeo with the Velocipastor what were your thoughts on it and takeaways um I I had a good ride I thought that it was a great display of committed performances. I was surprised how like I was pretty much rooting for everybody. I thought I thought the guy who plays Doug Jones looks like if John Mulaney and Mark Wahlberg had a love child. <laughs> and but he was with it. He it was a very committed performance. And I yeah, I had a good time. Nice. And that leaves Connor. This is such a strange position for me to be in because I really did not like this at all. Mm. Uh, there were, mo- I, I feel like I'm usually not that person on the podcast. So now, now I'm in that corner. Um, there definitely were parts that I enjoyed, like maybe three minute chunks here or there. I don't know. Overall, I just kind of got the vibe that they were just trying really hard to make a bad movie. That's fun without like, I don't know, like this is way better than any movie I could ever make on my own. So I'm like totally like not coming at it from that angle. Like this is far and above what I could possibly create, I'm sure, um, with like no money and a uh, like dollar store T-Rex Velociraptor costume. So props to them for like making it, getting it out there, having it be super, you know, people really liking it. But I just wish they, I feel like that they push satirical elements in some places and then other places just had things drag on for far too long that just stopped being funny for me. Like, it felt like maybe this is, I don't know, I just felt like the joke was just going on far too long for for me to the point where I was like, all right, can this please just put me out of my misery? I don't care about these ninjas. I get what you're doing. Give me more of the, like, BFX car on fire. Like, more of those things. Or, like, she survived. Like, title crawls, text crawls, like, different kind of things like that I enjoyed and some interesting ways that, like, editing was used, but there were, like, 30-minute stretches of the movie that I was like, I get it. I get it. You're doing the thing. Cool. It's kind of how I felt about it. I feel like I don't, wouldn't have enjoyed it as much because I totally agree, Connor. It feels, it, it, it set out from, you know, the moment that it begins to be a farce, to be, it like wants so badly to be like a terrible cult classic. Um, but I think what saves it and I'll double down on this is like, I would say the, the, the group of like random actors that they got to be in this, who I thought, I thought make it work. I would say that. Yeah. For me, I I went into this with very, very low expectations thinking that it was going to be sort of like one of those asylum film scenarios, you know, where you have like your, your bird demics or your shark natos and so on. Um, one of those movies that, considers itself to be both funny and good, bad, you know? But this is one of those rare moments where, I don't know, I think a lot of productions of that ilk either 
take that to mean like overly campy without being actually funny or they go too hard in like the crass comedy direction and it becomes a just plain bad movie, not a good bad movie. But this somehow manages a nice balance between the two. And it definitely starts to feel, I agree, Connor, feels a little long uh, in some passages that um, that's a little shocking that it's like an hour and a half long movie <laughs> by the end of it, at least at, at times for me. But I definitely felt that uh, uh, unlike something like you know, by contrast, your Sharknadoes. Oh, it's yeah, I'm getting that here. It's 70 minutes. Never mind. It's, it's only 70. It's actually minutes. ridiculous. Yeah, I guess it feel it felt more like 100 probably. But yeah, like a lot, like a lot of the things that I've cited, like a lot of asylum films things, I find those to be uh, very joyless and hollow. There's really not any heart to them, and it feels like there's definite care to this. And there's some pretty interesting trivia behind that, as a matter of fact. Um, some things about like how Brendan Steer, the director, worked with the film after it was shot. Like, uh, for example, after filming and before developing, the film was put into an oven and baked at 200 degrees Fahrenheit for 10 minutes to achieve the aged look that it has. Um, most of the scratches also on the film were achieved by Brendan Steer dragging the unprocessed film along surfaces in his bathroom, the only space in his apartment that was dark enough and therefore wouldn't expose the film. So like there, and there's some genre parody stuff at play here. Uh, there's a lot of tropes that are explored, if not overexplored in some scenes that get a little bit long, but yeah, it, it feels like, um, it feels like they competently made a good, bad movie, uh, with that being the vision, which is something I don't feel I see very often. And I think my critique, like this definitely has well-intentioned, well, like those asylum movies are, Davey, right? They're so joyless, just so phony when this definitely doesn't feel phony. So like credit to the, like definitely of the heart, a lot of like great production choices went into it. So yeah, all those things I said, still like acknowledge, really appreciate the heart. And Christine, there was a lot of commitment for sure. I think though that you're right in the sense of, Dave, you thought it was an hour and a half, and that means parts did drag on a little bit. And honestly, the ninja parts had me always a little confused, truly out of nowhere. Funny, I'm not going to lie, especially how they do try to tie it all together with like a long lost brother situation. Uh, and, and I think that like movies that try to be good and try to be Oscar noms always do have like these random ass subplots. So like I get what they're doing, but also like uh, sometimes they don't work for a reason. And yeah, it, it did get a little too weird sometimes. Well, I like, I like the idea of it being sort of like a, an international lo like leave located movie, even though clearly every outdoor scene is shot in the same, like, five acres of woods. <laughs> and yeah. so, you know, it like, I kind of like that, that we're supposed to imagine that we've suddenly followed this character to China when really it's like, you know, the fucking Catskill Mountains north of New York or something. A few weeks ago, we talked about the movie Prospect with Pedro Pascal and how that's an alien moon, but just filmed in like, the forest of Oregon or California or, or Washington State, rather. Uh, and that, that, I was just thinking about that too. Like, oh, alien world, that's, I don't know. Just an interesting kind of similarity of a movie that we recently watched, and also a very small budget movie, more budget than Velocipaster, but also, you know, just, you know, interesting that we watch those two movies kind of close to each other, and there's some interesting production kind of similarities. Yeah, indeed. And uh, there was also plenty of stuff in this movie that I found to be pretty genuinely funny. 
the biggest one, of course, as uh, we've alluded to, being the way that the film starts, which is uh, pretty great. Uh, that being kind of actually the first shot, the very first, well, actually the first thing that it says is the title card saying that it has been rated X by an all-Christian jury. Uh, and then goes on to give a setup this really kind of like deceptively tasteful slow tracking shot at first of Doug uh, preaching from the pulpit, uh, speaking to his congregation who are just off screen. And it's uh, does a good job of framing the crucifix right there in the middle of the shot as it continues tracking. Uh, but then it jumps right into looking intentionally bad the second act, like the shot immediately after is him exiting the church. And you can tell that the camera quality and like the lighting is just like taking a real nosedive. And, this uh, is that's... like what first reformed could have been. It's like <laughs> Paul Schrader's like writing his screenplay and he's like, we'll, we'll save Velocipastor for another time. <laughs> well, I'm going to be honest. Uh, Greg Cohen, uh, the uh, guy playing Doug, I think probably cribbed a little bit from that movie as far as like the more serious moments with that character. Like he's got a very like kind of Ethan Hawkey priest affect which is kind of great. And ma- it really makes me appreciate it even more because that movie's so like deathly serious. So to see that kind of vibe shuffled in here is great. But then he walks outside and we see uh, his proud parents waving from the car across the street. Cuts back to him, he waves at them. And then it cuts back to the car being just totally gone. It's out of the shot. And there's just a superimposed text that says VFX car on fire. <laughs> and then it cuts back to Doug who is dramatically reacting as though we're actually seeing this thing that is like, assumed to be like a plugged in, like we'll fix it in post kind of scenario, but is included in the final film. But what got me more than the missing visual effects car is the idea that like a 35 year old pastor who's just finished like doing his job, leaves the church and his parents are just there as if they're picking him up from kindergarten. He's like, hey mom. Hey, Dad. And it feels like this is like every Sunday his parents pick him up after he gives the sermon. I think that's really what was getting me. There is a line later on in the movie, yeah, where they're like, they're dropping him off, uh, I guess, at the church. And they say something to the effect of like, we'll drive around for a while and then pick you up after priest college, which is a pretty great line. Oh, I didn't pick that. Oh, right. Because he's under the tutelage. Okay, so. All right. He's still in college, although. Clearly not, but yeah. <laughs> I think most things to do with the parents, I thought were some of the funniest stuff of like, ah, ha, 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 ha. oh my God, the extended there's laughing is yeah, fantastic. Yeah, his only memories that. really are just them sitting at the table laughing wordlessly about nothing for like, I don't know, it's got to be like two or three minutes. Which then the brother brings back up and is like, and I'm going to stop your laughing. It's like, that's a nice callback. Or they're like, kill you so you don't laugh anymore or something like that. And that's so good, too, because, yeah, we just cut back to everyone cackling. Because in in the beginning, when we see that memory, it's just the three of them, Doug and his two parents, like, all just laughing. And it's just tight shots on the three of them. And then, like, later when the long-lost brother brings it up in resentment, it just pans. It's the same thing, but it pans a little bit further. And he's just sitting there not laughing. That's one of my favorite things that this movie actually does is that introduces a scene, calls it back later, and you realize that there was more happening at this moment. Mm-hmm. So when you go back and watch it again, you you just think of it differently. And when we're speaking of this opening scene of the parents being like, hi, and then the car blowing up. A little bit later on, we find out who's responsible for it, which is mm-hmm. a man named Frankie Mermaid. And... Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> when he talks about like blowing up uh, this guy's parents, it pans back to that scene. And there he is just like hands on his knees, laughing hysterically as Doug is weeping. And it's one of, that's one of my favorite lines in the movie, this Frankie Mermaid confession, unknowingly giving it to Doug that he's uh, killed his parents. He goes on this like giant, like obscene laundry list of like crimes through this casual confession. And then when he talks about doing that, he says that uh, uh, he, he gets into the car accident and then uh, a priest comes yelling out and he's yelling mom and dad like they're his parents or something. <laughs> that one, that one actually really got me. How about any other uh, moments of humor? I mean, I, I've got a lot here, to be honest. Like, um, part, like the, the ridiculous repetition of the stuff in the perhaps overlong Vietnam flashback of like saying like, someday you're going to name your kid after me, your best buddy from the war. And he says that maybe like six or seven times. Uh, there's one other moment where um, Doug is hiding in Carol, um, the sex worker that he uh, meets and befriends uh, house. And she's not expecting him to be there. So she just walks into the shot and like into her house and it just pans over and he just emerges from like a big pile of newspaper next to her bed. That was amazing. He's just hiding or or just not even hiding. He's just like cowering from the world and it's just covered in eight sheets of newspaper <laughs> and then just emerges. Oh, I noted that. That was, that was phenomenal. I really enjoyed all of the scenes between Carol and Doug. I thought they had great chemistry. <laughs> I liked their like music video, like love scene. There was a lot of like, you know, frame manipulation and stuff like against some like catchy songs. I was like all for it. I thought it was quite, quite fun. That was a crazy thing too. It gets to that scene, this uh, montage, this like, you know, budding friendship slash relationship montage that we're talking about between uh, Carol and Doug. And there's this song and I'm just like, like most of the music in this movie is just like, I don't know, like B-sides from the Tony Hawk soundtrack. It's like orgcore or skate punk. But this one comes along and I'm just like, what the fuck? I know this song. I don't know why I know this, but it's familiar. Then it turns out it's uh, this guy I know, Steve-O, who's in a band called The Holy Mess. And that was uh, who the artist was. So that's somebody that I know personally. That's wild. Oh my God. <laughs> Um, something that I loved, and this is just like throughout the whole movie, is when he turns into the velociraptor. And at first, you just get like the face or a close up on the eye. And it is so clearly like a mask you can get at like Party City or something like that. Uh, but then later when he's like mid transition and it's just his arms that are in the like claw gloves like <laughs> and they're clearly that, gloves yeah that made me laugh so hard and then but there's like this build up to what the velociraptor actually looks like and when we get to the end when you see the full velociraptor and it is just so clearly a large human in a suit that doesn't fill out the whole suit. So the head's like flopping over. Jesus fucking Christ is that hysterical. And it's like there's nothing happening in the face. So it's the, the mask is just like going up against things and like scrunching up. Oh, it's my swings God. around and bounces and yeah. stuff. Yeah. And they kind of like jaws it in terms of like. Yeah. yeah. 
I was thinking, I was thinking about Connor and I was like, I feel like in the very least they'll appreciate that they pull the jaws and don't introduce the entire dinosaur till the final climactic like scene at the end. Even though to Sam's point, there's, there's like the little flap between the legs where like you put the suit on, which is my favorite little part. That's kind of the thing too. Like this movie, the way it paces itself with that in particular is like, it's, you know, it's obviously not very well designed at the onset when you're seeing it. It's like quick cuts of just like glimpses of it attacking someone and this and that. But once you get a full look at this thing, it's really it's it's so much worse than you imagined in your mind in such a funny and satisfying way. Apparently, it was a, a prop that was left over from a high school production that they just somehow wrote a dinosaur into. But uh, the teacher felt it would be too violent to include. So they just had this thing lying around for a while. And I think kind of like t- uh, the story behind the film Tammy and the T-Rex. It's just like, well, we have this fake dinosaur. We might as well make something with this. Thank God you just told me that because it makes it so much better. <laughs> so, I mean, we've covered what, what we think is funny about it, I suppose. And like the kind of self-awareness that it presents itself with as being a very poorly budgeted movie. but um was it was it, how do we feel about like it almost feels pointless to kind of go into the story or the characters too much but i mean uh, i'm curious what, what did you guys take away from any of that i really don't have much to say about it other than it just unfolds the way that it does uh and i'm more here for the presentation but any thoughts as as charming as a lot of these moments are i think the movie just gets itself too bogged down in a lot of like the plot when I think when this movie is like having a lot of fun with the Velociraptor or with these characters, I'm on board. But a lot of these things with the other priest, uh, I forget his name, the older priest who takes mm-hmm. him to be exercised on his own because Vatican bureaucracy is too slow. So he has to go to a rogue exorcist, which is like, I don't know if you call it a trope, but that's an idea that I love. A rogue exorcist, I kind of always, I don't know, um, been drawn to that idea. I just think it just lingers too much on a lot of like the ninja stuff, a lot of this, like, I don't know, the brother side things. That's a great reveal. And I love that that's like a trope that they're playing with. I was there the whole time. I have the secret connection. Excellent trope to play with. But I just think it got a little too bogged down in its own story. I don't know if that was like padding or they like the like kind of envisioning the longer you play it out, the kind of funnier it could be. Uh, I just, I don't know, maybe other folks have thought, you guys have thoughts on the, you know, kind of the back half of the movie plotting wise, but I just felt like it got a little too weighed down in its own kind of like plot. Well, quick thought on that front. This was um, originally just like a fake grindhouse trailer that uh, Brendan Steer made for, I think for film school. Uh, and then it got a lot of te- uh, traction and went viral. Uh, so they decided to to fill it out. And I think maybe take it, structurally more seriously than was necessary uh as far as like grounding each of these like genre trope explorations and like tangential like side stories so yeah i think maybe it's got a few too many balls in the air i think i could agree with that uh i i just like i I kind of walk away with this one i don't know it's a weird movie i like again I, i really expected it to be hopelessly joyless and uh not a lot of effort put into it so i was i was taken by uh, so so many of its elements, but yeah, I guess story and character was something I wasn't really that uh, ultimately that invested in because it doesn't really feel ultimately that important. It felt like the director got a bunch of people together that he at least saw even the 
the, the characters with the smallest parts. He saw something in them and was like, I want to showcase this. Like at the end of the movie, when Doug has to go to the hospital to pick Carol up, and even the doctor who is who comes and oh, says okay. that Carol is going to be okay, the movie takes a good like four minutes to draw this scene out, and it's wonderful. It's just this weirdo doctor who just delivers this news that Carol's going to be okay, and then like lights up a cigarette and then sits back and just has a moment to himself. It serves <laughs> zero function in. In the narrative, like nothing. Not but, even not even just lights up a cigarette. He roots through the ashtray for a butt that's yes. unfinished and smokes <laughs> smokes a butt. Yes. <laughs> that important, important clarification. And there's a wonderful moment where you see the little, I don't know what it is, like a forehead stethoscope. I don't know what it is. Uh, it's like, so like, those, like old, light reflectors or whatever, yeah. Oh, a light reflector. Okay, so some old-fashioned doctor device that like, falls down over the doctor's eyes, which <laughs> clearly would have been like a retake, but like he just rolls with it. And then there's just this little funny idiosyncratic moment that just was left or, or added to the movie. And I, I just found, I was just very charmed by little moments like that, where it felt like the director just wanted two characters that have no relationship and nothing to do with the rest of the movie, just have a scene and just like see where it goes. And so I really appreciated little little gestures like that. That also reminded me, and I know that um, Carol, her character is a stereotype in and of itself, right? So it's like this um, woman that's trying to put herself through college by turning tricks in quotations by being a sex worker, but she's like becoming a lawyer doctor. <laughs> and, oh my God, that's right. There are, yeah. there's, not, there's not much of a dan- demand for hooker doctor lawyers or something. Or something <laughs> yeah. But I also love that when they finally do get into an altercation with the ninjas, she is just an incredible fighter, just like shush, 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 taking people out into the very end where she like dramatically like dies, but then is suddenly okay. <laughs> and the dying is so great. Like she's, uh, it's uh, like they they took the time in between each shot to give her like more blood capsules. Yeah. So like she's constantly in this like like tender dying throes, like speaking to Doug and like she just keeps like spitting up blood on his face. I have a question and I don't think it ever occurred to me till the final scene when it's Doug, Carol survived and then like a 1950s or 60s car. Is this movie supposed to be set mid 20th century? Well, they went to Vietnam. So we're talking 70s. Okay. Or like whatever. If it's a flashback. No, I no. It's one of those like why? Why are they in it? Okay, all right. There, so more, more questions. It's kind of uh, like your uh, what is it? Um, oh shit! Uh, kind of like a pretty in pink kind of thing, where it's just like you know they roll up in the like nice thing at the end and drive away. Is that the right movie? Or am I thinking of something else? But like, so okay, yeah. So it's present day, not set in the in another decade okay because yeah he he looks like a greaser and he's they're both leaning up against a car it's like an oldsmobile or whatever okay good claire uh, i i i i understand now 
Well, and in the beginning of the movie, during the title sequence, he's driving, I think, that same car or some other kind of hot rod vibe with, like, the directed by, act starring, kind of, like, old school feel. Yeah, and it's got that kind of, like, uh, it almost feels like um, kind of, like, Tarantino text or something, that, that like, yellow, um, like, very nice uh, sans serif. Uh, that we're treated to for this title sequence. Another thing that I love also about the title sequence, and it was one of the moments where I was just like, okay, I'm clearly in for something here that's a little bit more, um, I don't know, self-aware and, and joyful than I had imagined. It was like, we get that sort of like, he's he's driving this car over the, uh, I don't know, another like skate punk song, which again, I'm very much here for. But uh, I was driving around and like, uh, it's all these, p- sh- you know, the classic like um, pensive man feeling shots of just like a guy sternly driving his his focus is just fixed straight ahead and in the background like all these like different like backgrounds like plugged in the cgi backgrounds uh and like stock footage backgrounds are inserted even like some to the point that like summer day shots summer at night and so on but the thing that really got me was um when in between all this like pensive you know um uh ruminative driving that he's doing one of the cuts when it cuts back from like i don't know an exterior of like the headlight or something it cuts back to him he's like like joyfully drumming on the uh steering wheel and like seemingly having a good time for like a second it's little moments a lot of little moments and with that i don't know i feel like there's not there's really not that much you can get into here but what it does, I don't know. At the end of the day, I'm not going to walk away uh, thinking that this is like a story for the ages. And I don't think it aims to do that by any means. Uh, but it also isn't just sort of like kind of a, a throwaway package product. It's, it feels like there's care and charm in it. It feels like it's invested in its brand of humor, which I think with few exceptions stays relatively tasteful for something like this. And I found all of that satisfying and surprising. Uh, I think largely because of my expectations going into it. So those, I guess, are kind of my final thoughts. Does anyone have anything uh, they'd like to add on that front? I'm just glad that Kara picked this for you, Dave. Um, I I think her idea of trying to find something that was bad but good worked out. And this wasn't really revenge. I think this was a a pretty good pick. Yeah, I I agree with everything that's been said. I think fundamentally, uh, I think maybe Dave said this earlier just like made with care uh and i think that's kind of what saves it from going the direction it could have well that the journey of uh velocipaster uh if you want to watch it i'm not sure where it's streaming off hand i had watched it for free on youtube like the, it's just uploaded for free which is nice uh and it's a pretty high Tubi. quality transfer oh it's, it's on, on Tubi. Tubi. yeah okay there you and go and amazon prime for free I was going to guess Amazon Prime because I'm learning that one thing with Amazon Prime is that they will allow film schools or like very just like independent productions to just like upload onto their server as long as it's provided for free, which is why to a degree Amazon Prime, uh, while having some real hitters, is pretty glutted with trash. Uh, This being perhaps a rare exception in that department. But yeah, it was... It's an interesting flick. I'm glad that uh, I finally had an excuse to watch it, and uh, I, I suppose I agree, Sam. I don't. I don't quite consider it revenge. I think uh, it's uh, it's an interesting twist, given how uh, seriously I take most movies, as they said. But I still find a lot of fun in these kind of things, especially as we've discussed in the past. Things like Quiet Cool, I Come in Peace, uh, Dead Heat, and of course My Demon Lover. So I think this though a more modern example does sort of fall into that camp of like self-awareness that uh that i am so drawn to in 
uh, underfunded movies, let's say. Uh, we're going to be getting into more roommate revenge next week when you rejoin us. This is perhaps going to be one where I'm more in Connor's shoes, but uh, it'll be interesting to discuss. Uh, so you'll want to stay tuned for that and for the duration of this theme because it's uh, it's really fun. And it's got a real surprise at the end of it, at the end of this road as well. So we're, of course, looking forward to that, all that and are so thankful to Kara and Heather for contributing to this theme. Uh, we're also thankful to uh, the Mujon Podcast Network for helping host and promote our show, as well as a suite of really great Philly podcasts. Um, thankful to all of you, the listeners. And of course, uh, with that, I suppose we will see you folks next week. And until then, have a good one ever. This has been 